Hey, sexy strangers. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of The Strange Sessions. As always, I am Kurt, and I am joined once again in the studio by the sultry voice of Sheboygan herself, <laughs> Krista. Well, you just told everyone where I live, Kurt. <laughs> Sheboygan's a big town. I don't think anybody's going to be able it's to find you big. in Sheboygan. It's pretty big. I think we've talked about it in the past. I'm sure we have. Yeah. You know me. I'm just paranoid. Uh... Hi, Kurt. Hi. <laughs> I feel like I'm totally forgetting to do something. Um, did you, do you have your podcasting underwear on? I do. Okay, good. What, that co- do, what, what do you think my podcasting underwear look like? And oh. don't I like brown and yellow aren't valid answers. <laughs> <laughs> like what? What Are do you think? Are they red? No. Oh, okay. Green. This was actually. Are they a solid back like, in the primary color, or they have a print on them? Their print. I mean, back in the day, I was going to have this as like a trivia question, and mm. it is actually black and green plaid. Oh, all right. And they get washed between Very seasons. Masculine. They do get washed between <laughs> seasons, so we're good. Okay. <laughs> there have been a couple episodes where I forgot to wear them, but okay. those are probably, that was probably like the Maura Murray episode. Yeah. But Although people <laughs> tend to like that episode, and I don't understand why. I want to give a huge shout out to Stranger Anna for her Strange Sessions bingo card. Oh my God, that, that was so amazing. Made. I was laughing so hard. So was I. I literally had tears in my eyes <sighs> when I was looking at that. Uh, she so posted true. in our closed Facebook group, The Strange. Strangers and I think I shared it to Instagram as well and it was yeah it is awesome hilarious. it is hilarious so thank you so much Anna I see that on a t-shirt at some I point know. in the future t-shirt or coffee mug something but want to give shout outs to our newest strangers and those are Kay Madrid, Daniel Rubin, Sammy Height, and Garrison Ward Wow. And we also had two join this morning say, that I did not get a chance to write down yet in the notes and those two are Matt Belcher and Travis Ingebretson. And one of those Tra- I thought was yeah. funny because they were looking for a different podcast and found ours instead. Yeah, I think that I think if I'm not I'll take it. if I'm right, that's uh Travis. He and said he, uh, someone he was looking for something a, else and he called the strange lands or something. Yeah, and he found, and he found ours. Mistake. So that's that is that's serendipity at its best. And now he likes us. And he's just, I think he said he just listened to the Mandela Effect episode. Okay. And it seems like that was so long it ago. Was. And it was, but... Was that season one? Yeah. That was okay. like way back at the beginning of season one. And we have done a season a year, right? Because we take a break yeah. in the winter. Season one, I think, was only like 16 episodes. That was okay. like a short... So did we do two seasons in the first year? I think so. I Maybe don't remember. Maybe we took a summer break or something. I don't. I honestly don't remember. I barely remember what I did yesterday. It feels like it wasn't that long ago, but it really was yeah, that long ago. Yeah, it was, actually. Uh, do we have any housekeeping? I did want to mention that I was just, it takes me a long time to get through the episodes because I only listened to it on my commute. And I was listening to it on the way here. And as I was listening to the voicemail. Henry McCabe's? Yeah, Henry. I was thinking to myself, we should have given a little bit of a disclaimer to um, anyone who has a strangeling listening, meaning a small stranger, because that was a little disturbing. And yeah. I guess I wouldn't want, uh, you know, someone with little ears not being prepared and hearing that and being <laughs> yeah, not traumatized sleeping, by not it. Not sleeping for a week because so, of ears, Ed. Yeah, we apologize for not calling that out first, and we'll try to yeah. get better at that. Yeah, we, we I forget that we do have little ones yeah. that listen. 
So that was creepy. A lot of people. It was really creepy. I heard from a lot of people that said they really liked that episode, and a lot of people said they I had never it. heard that before, and they were like, "That's really disturbing." That voicemail. Yeah, it might sound weird that we listen to our own episodes, but I love listening I, to our. I show. only listen to our episodes when I edit. After mm-hmm. I edit an episode, I don't listen to it anymore. I only listen to it once, and it's after it's after it's been released. Yeah. but I always enjoy it. Yeah. It's kind of fun to relive it, and I think I notice things. It's neat to re- different to re-listen to our backup episodes because we can go for months without oh, yeah. hearing that, and then when we hear it, it's like a brand new, like we never heard this before. <laughs> you know, that's funny. Uh, a couple housekeeping things I have: we had a lot of people this last week that have sent us things, so thank you oh, so yeah, yeah, much. Yeah, packages and stuff. Yeah, I thought you were going to so, talk about the people requesting. Oh no, we'll to get join to that the strangers. Too. We'll okay, that too. Oh. But yeah, we got a lot of packages. I think of taste test stuff, of just postcards of really nice things from you guys so yeah. thank you so much i think we're okay for the next bunch of episodes with taste test stuff but if you're gonna send something non-perishable that's yeah fine. yeah uh, i have a not s- many people send us things that i need have to a be drink at home them. that yeah. uh, my friend jesse gave me that we're gonna try okay so that's gonna be in a future episode okay. and uh also i wanted to say that a lot of people contact me on weekends for like topic ideas and stuff. On weekends, I work 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. So if you don't hear back from me right away, that's why. He's not ignoring you. I'm not ignoring you. <laughs> if we get caught on our phones at work, we can get fired. Oh, yeah. Same at our place. So too. I, of course, never use my phone at work. Yeah. Yeah. So, wink, wink. <laughs> so if you, t- if you contact me on a weekend, you might not necessarily get me. I mean, or he get... doesn't even answer me right away. <laughs> so that's got to tell you something. Exactly. Exactly. And... uh We've had a lot of people request to get into the strangers that don't answer the questions. Mm-hmm. And we had one person today that said yes to, to every all question. of them. <laughs> so, Where did you hear about us? Yes. Yeah, denied. <laughs> Sorry, that's not going to work. Bye. So just to answer the questions. Well, and these are people from Indonesia, Syria. Like, I, yeah. I don't know how they're finding us. There's so us. many Middle Eastern people that try to get in that I wonder if there is something over there. That it's like a TV show or something called The Strangers yeah. that they think that they're getting into a group for that. Could be. So, it could be. And it's nothing, I mean, no offense. If you listen to the yeah. show, just answer the questions. Yeah. We don't care where you're from. Yep. And we if, just don't want people who don't listen to the show joining yeah. the group. It's, but it's really it's, just for There's listeners. a lot of people this last week that wanted to get in that just didn't answer the questions. So right. answer the questions. And we usually get, give people a little time because sometimes they don't answer yeah, the questions well, right so, away. I feel like sometimes the Facebook, Facebook is weird that. that all of a sudden yeah. their answers will pop in. So we usually like wait a day or so. And then if we don't get answers from you, then it's bye-bye. But since we had three people from the Middle East all at the same time this morning and nobody, we just declined them. Yeah. So and sorry if you're listening and you and you know the answers to the questions, please you know try again. We don't yep. mean to just decline you. Yep. And there's been a lot of talk, people wanting us to do like meetups and Patreon episodes and stuff. And the problem with that is, it's hard for Krista and I to get together. Yeah. You know, we can barely manage once yeah, every we other do, week. Yeah, we get together <laughs> at the butt crack of dawn to record this. Yeah. You know, the sun is just coming up now over the studio. Yeah. So, you know, I live like half an hour away from Krista and... And the studio's a the half studio's an hour away from me. The studio's half hour away from Krista. So it's just hard for us to get together to like do like Skype sessions and stuff like that. Or extra episodes. Or extra episodes. So I think merchandise is probably going to be our best way. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll, we'll you know... Like things at my job are still kind of sketchy, yeah. so who knows if I'm going to have a job? So we might, we might have a lot rely more on Patreon. <laughs> we might rely on Patreon. Um, a I, dollar a word. People have suggested too, though, for Patreon, not necessarily. Um, well, Jeff suggested like record just us. Well, well that's what that's talking what. Yeah, that's we what the, That's what the well, the Sofa King podcast does. Uh, 
Patreon like, episodes. Just want to hear us chatting? Well, that's what that's what Sofa King does. They do. They have their Patreon episodes are basically them answering questions that people send in. Oh, okay. You know, so I mean, that's we could do cool. that. And also because um, it makes because I show notes things yeah, like that. I don't want like Patreon listeners to get paranormal topics that other people don't get i just don't like that idea that right. they get something that other people don't but if they really like listening to us and would or want to pay for us just talking or answering random questions yeah we i could get do that. that but that's something we'll have to figure out yeah like we're we, not there we, yet we did not <laughs> we're ex- four seasons in and we're not yeah. there yet <laughs> we did not expect <laughs> we did not expect you know 20 people to listen to us much less as many people that right. are so I think that's all we got for housekeeping. Yeah. And that was mo- a lot for housekeeping. That was a lot for, for housekeeping. Yeah, that was. We don't really don't have housekeeping. <laughs> so moving on to the taste test, which was sent to us by Stranger Coleman. Okay, so did you give me the multi-tool? It is right here. You can't struggle opening this because that is a, a box on the bingo board. Chris was struggling to open a package. <laughs> Grunting while I struggle. <laughs> you got to open this for me. <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy. I'm going to struggle to open the multi-tool before I struggle <laughs> to open the package. There is a small French man named Pierre, though. <laughs> yeah, if you see our picture in the <laughs> in the strangers. Oh, I grunted. I was trying so hard not nope. to, and I did it anyway. If, if, that's, if somebody turned that bingo thing into a drinking game, somebody just had a shot. <laughs> Ooh, okay. I see green bubble wrap. This is promising. Oh! <gasps> Oh, that's hilarious. Pickle candy. Oh, we got more pickle yeah, candy. Yeah, so we did do this once We before. did the pickle candy. Corey, it was actually really Corey good. actually gave us the pickle candy. And it's actually... Oh, my God. Emergency Bigfoot. It's like a little... A Bigfoot like sound. You press buttons it's like a Bigfoot soundboard. Howl, oh. snort, roar. We're going to have to do this. Yes, we will. I'm excited. Pickle oh. cotton candy. Oh. I'm horrified I and excited. I don't know how I feel about the pickle cotton candy. Oh, there's, a, there's a note in here. Thank you for the stuff, Coleman. Uh, who posted? Was it Jeremy Ryder who said this group lately? Pickle, 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 yeah, pickle. It's Something true. strange. Pickle, it's, pickle. It's true. <laughs> okay, Kurt and Krista, items for the taste test and a goofy paranormal gift. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Sincerely, Coleman Doucette. Yeah, thank you so much, Coleman. Your fellow Scani kid. P.S. If ever looking for sponsors, hit me up. I have a couple side businesses and would be willing to be a sponsor. Oh, Stay strange. Um, that's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. We would love that, actually. We're going to be talking to you, Coleman. Okay. The pickle candy we have tried on the show. Yeah, but, but I'm, super I'm glad excited. he gave us another one because I know people have been here that kind of wanted to try one. It's the I want to say Jamie was it Jamie? Too. Somebody wanted to try one and we they were gone. Okay, I'm gonna open this um, Bigfoot thing. <gasps> Do I just hit a button? Ready? Yep. Do you think it's like on? I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's awesome. Okay, that was the howl. I'm gonna play the snort. That's kind of disturbing. That's really creepy. If I heard that out in the woods, uh uh-uh. Okay, here's a roar. Ooh. And a groan. This is perhaps me opening a box. (laughs) (laughs) Sounded like a Bigfoot fart. It sounded like he was either sad or pooping. Oh, could be. I like the howl the best. I'm playing it again. That is awesome. <laughs> I awesome. love this. Thank you so much, Coleman. Emergency Bigfoot. I could carry this around as like, you know, 
personal protection. Yeah, but with your luck, you'll be getting attacked, and you'll so, think but, it's like the alarm <laughs> thing, and you'll you'll, <laughs> you'll hold it out and do your Bigfoot groan. It, it, it lends <laughs> to that whole be weirder than the person who's trying to be weird to you. Yeah, exactly. Scare him away. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready for... to try the cotton candy. <sighs> okay, I gotta get myself psyched up. This scares me. Oh, wait, I gotta take pictures of all this stuff. Jeez. Slacking. What was it that somebody said that you said in the last episode that they had to re-listen to it? Whoa. Agony? Was agony? it agony? Oh, because I said the guy was in agony. Oh, yeah. It must have been your, your Wisconsin accent really came through on agony. That's funny. But um, people always talk about the way we say bag, like a grocery bag. Huh. Yeah, people always... That's like one of the things people say about us talking funny is the way we say bag. Well, and didn't Tom um, Napier say that we pronounce things with a y i've never noticed that like wisconsin oh yeah you do we well, do if I'm, we get on a roll talking and not thinking i think about if it. i'm mocking our accents i'll say wisconsin yeah. like that i do but i don't think i normally say that but i could be wrong i could be in denial i'm cool with that i don't know how this is gonna be oh, it's gotta be better than the calamity canes that's all i gotta say oh i need this i'm gonna stab it i stabbed the cotton candy is this in your diet? My diet's kind Pickle of flavored. not so hot this no. week. No. You're I did lose eight pounds on my last oh, weigh-in, though. Good for you. Yeah, and I celebrated by getting a large pizza the night after and eating the whole thing. Kurt. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm just going to grab a chunk. That's fine. Oh, that's weird. That's a lot. <laughs> it looks like insulation. It looks like it green does insulation. does like insulation. I'm going to take a picture of this. If Hopefully gave it us, tastes oh, better. Oh, it smells like pickles. I can totally I didn't smell, smell it. it yet. I can totally smell it. Do you smell stuff before you eat it, generally, or do you just eat it? Um, If I'm doing a taste test. Oh. Oops, that's blurry. I don't know. Like, just life in general, I don't spend a lot of time smelling my food. It depends. I can smell pickle, but it smells mild, so it might actually be okay. I don't even smell the pickle. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Oh. Oh. It tastes like cotton candy that's gone bad. You know what I'm saying? And I took a huge chunk. <laughs> it's not horrible. It's just... I don't... It's the dill. All I taste is dill. You know what I mean? The, ugh, the first... Like, ugh. Oh. The first moment you put it, it in, in your, your mouth nose. yeah the first moment you put it in your mouth it's gross like but once you get used it, to it it's kind it's of not good. bad if as it's coming out your nose yeah. the, the aroma of it that's not good it's no but heavy on like right dill. now when i'm chewing it it's actually pretty good it's just that first moment when it hits your tongue that yeah it's gross. It's, that part is weird but the rest of it is good i don't understand how that works because no. now i really like it but if i put another piece in my mouth I'm only eating this because it's in my hand. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I wouldn't buy it. What are you going to give it on a 1 to 10? Oh, we didn't even rate our last. We, no. didn't, read, we didn't rate the Calamity Canes. Well, they they would have been like a negative yeah. 12. Yeah. So. I'm going to give this a 6 because it is what it says it is, but I don't really like it. <laughs> I'm going to give it an 8 because I like it, but I'm docking a point for that first moment when it hits your tongue and it has like a weird fishy almost flavor. Oh, yeah, I can see what you're saying. Yeah. That's weird. But once you start eating it, it's actually really good. Hmm. Huh, interesting. This Thank you, how, Coleman. This is how I feel about that. 
Um, thank you so much, Coleman. Yeah, thank you. I've never, I didn't even know picky, pickle, oh my God. I didn't even know pickle cotton candy was a thing unless somebody posted on our Facebook page. I think page. somebody had it posted. Probably. I kind of like this. I like the color. Green's my favorite color. But we'll keep that here in the studio. Surprise guests with it. We always wonder if somebody comes in here and like cleans when we're not here, and then they sample our foods we have. They can have the bugs. We <laughs> still totally have, bugs. have the bugs. Are we op- oh, we're opening that later? Okay. Yeah. All right. All right, and now we're on to the main topic tonight, which is another my favorite mini, mini mystery. mystery. So topics. Krista is going to do one. Mm-hmm. I am going to do one, and you're gonna like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And if you don't, too bad. <laughs> Um, we're gonna come to your house and we're gonna share our pickle candy and <laughs> bugs. We're and bringing the clam canes. Definitely getting the clam canes. So I should preface this by saying that um, this is a, a topic I recorded with Jeff and Joe on. We were trying to revive paranormal palaver, um, changing things up, doing some true crime stuff too. And this was over a year ago that we recorded this, and I'm afraid it's never gonna see the light of How day. How many episodes did you guys record that are just sitting there? Uh, six to eight, something like wow, that. I really? mean, we reviewed a couple of movies. We did a couple of true crime episodes. So those yeah. are like the lost episodes of yeah. Paranormal Palaver. <laughs> those can go on our Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I didn't want this story to not see the light of day. I knew nothing about this. Okay. It's a local story. Um, so I also want to say on the rare chance that someone, a friend or family member is listening, I obviously mean no disrespect by telling this story. And I have a very small minor connection to it. Um, and I don't know how much of a mystery it is. I mean, there's some answered questions, but I mean, it's basically a murder. <laughs> mine's, mine's, not really a, mine's not really a mystery anymore either. So right, people know what it is. Yeah. It's just a cool topic. Yeah, it so. is a really cool topic. Okay, so I guess I'll get started. So we're going to be talking about the Karnak family murders. Okay. So, here we go. On July 2nd, 1998, Alan and Donna Karnak, their youngest son, Thomas, and their family dog disappeared. Oh, is the dog were... okay? No. Oh. <laughs> they were last seen by their son, Andrew, as they were preparing to leave their home in Jefferson County, which is like southern, kind of southern central-ish yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah, it's by, it by Madison? Yes. Yeah. Uh, for their cabin in Washera County over the 4th of July holiday. In December of 1999, male skeletal remains were found by hunters in a remote wooded area of Jackson County, North Carolina. They wouldn't be identified as Alan Karnak until 2001. His wife, Donna, and son, Thomas, have never been found and are presumed dead. Alan was 55, Donna was 52, and Thomas was 21. Andrew was 37 at the time of their disappearance. So I'm going to get into a more like detailed timeline now. So they never found their bodies? Not the mother and the son, no. Uh, On the afternoon of July 2nd, phone records would show that a call was placed from the Karnak family residence in Jefferson County to Al's place of employment, Wisconsin Electric. When questioned by police, Andrew initially claimed that he didn't recall making the phone call, but would later admit to his aunt, or aunt if you're from this area, (laughs) that he called his father at work that day because he was at their house working on his car and needed to find a tool. However, a coworker of Al's would recall later that shortly before 4 p.m. on July 2nd, Al received a phone call and appeared extremely distressed, apparently telling the coworker, Bill Connolly, I have to fly out of here, and that, quote, we may have to go to a funeral, unquote. Bill recalled that Al had an army buddy who was in ill health, but he was unclear if that was the reason Al left. 
When questioned about the last time he saw his parents and brother, Andrew stated that when he arrived at their house, now remember he already admitted to his aunt that he was already at their house working on his car. He said, quote, Tom was working on my computer. That's his brother. Mom got home shortly after I did and started packing for the weekend. I worked on my Mustang for a few hours and then watched TV. Dad got home before five and loaded up the truck. Tom grabbed his stuff on the way out the door and drove down the driveway. It was probably 5.15 by now. That was the last, or he said, this was the last I saw of them, unquote. He told police that throughout the weekend, he worked on his car, drank alcohol, and watched the fireworks because it was the 4th of July. Sounds like a typical Wisconsin weekend. Right, sure does. (laughs) Even though his family was due back before dark on Sunday, July 5th, He wasn't concerned when they did not return. He figured they just stayed an extra night to fish and that they still hadn't returned um, by the time he went to bed around 11.30 p.m. He indicated that he thought it was odd that they still weren't home Monday morning, but he went to school anyway. I believe he was attending uh, college at UW-Whitewater at the time, which is where I met my husband. Yay. When he returned from classes on Monday around 4 p.m., he started to get worried, so he decided to drive up to the cabin, but nobody was home. He spoke to the neighbors who didn't remember seeing anyone around all weekend. He told police that he then called the Washera County Sheriff to see if there had been an accident and also stopped at a deputy's house a mile from the cabin to ask him to watch for the son Tom's truck. The deputy also hadn't remembered seeing any activity at the cabin in a while. So obviously the family never made it to the cabin. Four days later, on July 10, Andrew would contact Warden Scott Bow in Sauk County, informing him that his parents and brother were missing and that he needed help locating them. When asked why he was contacting a conservation warden, Andrew responded that the sheriff's department was not being helpful. After giving the warden descriptions of Tom's truck and possible locations where they may have gone, Bo actually located the pickup truck within about 90 minutes. It was found on the Dell Creek Wildlife Area in Sauk County. I do remember this on the news. I do remember. Really? Yeah, I do remember seeing this on the news. Okay. The vehicle was empty except for a small notebook on the front seat. Detective Howe, who got involved in the case, would testify that during his investigation, he discovered a discrepancy concerning the mileage on one of the family vehicles. The Carnex kept very detailed mileage logs inside all of their vehicles. The mileage on one of the trucks the family owned showed 2,600 miles difference from the log. Andrew couldn't explain the difference. However, another detective testified that the distance between the Karnak residence and the area where Al's remains were found in North Carolina is approximately 1,560 miles round trip. Detective Howell also received a map from the Whitewater Police Department that was recovered from the black Buick owned by Donna Karnak. The vehicle was found at the Chopin Wrecker in Whitewater, the map having been found in the glove compartment. The map was sent to the Wisconsin Crime Lab for analysis, and they later identified Andrew's thumbprint on the map. But how odd is that? I mean, it's his, yeah. a map in his mom's car. Yeah. So now I want to talk about some of the suspicious things that Andrew said and did in the days following his family's disappearance and other information that either came out in court or was at least related to, uh, relayed to police by family members and friends. As if all this other stuff wasn't suspicious enough. And really, most of this is circumstantial evidence. um, But you get enough circumstantial evidence, and it kind of points towards... Points to one direction. Um, You're probably already convinced now that Andrew's (laughs) is responsible for their disappearance. So, 
The first really odd and significant thing is six days after his family went missing, Andrew had his name legally changed to Derek Nicholas Anderson. Who does that? I. But why <laughs> would he think that that would help him? Or Well, because he was going to move out of state. He was basically going to just pick up and leave and make it hard for people to find him. But couldn't you still, if somebody changes their name, can you still, still trace a record. them? Yeah. Sure. I mean, That's most sketch- criminals, that is a little sketchy. Most criminals are stupid. <laughs> yeah. That is a little sketchy. Andrew's aunt would testify that he stated regarding his family's disappearance and the police investigation, quote, give them a week and they'll forget about this, unquote. He also told her, quote, they will never find them, unquote. She indicated that he seemed very nonchalant about the whole situation, even telling her that he wasn't too concerned about his parents, but that he missed the family dog. Wow. Well, he's not a complete monster, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) He misses the dog. This little bit of information was not only shocking, but very telling, in my opinion. Patricia Ellefson, one of Al's co-workers, testified that she had a conversation with Al regarding their respective children at work that year on April 17th. going back to that last thing, wouldn't you think, like, if you killed them or whatever, wouldn't you want to make it look like you were really grieving them? Yeah. As opposed to just being like, oh, oh well. Not if you're you know, a psychopath, though. You don't yeah, have the capacity. a narcissist or a psychopath. Right. Yeah. You don't have that empathy. You don't. Yeah, have... but you would be smart enough to make it look like you were really They're upset. Not, not all psychopaths are smart. True. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so he, we're talking about Patricia Ellison having a conversation with Al um, about their children. She informed Karnak that one of her sons was at college and was being very moody. In response, Al inquired as to whether Ellison's son had ever threatened her. He went on to tell her that his son had threatened him and had attacked him one night after work saying that he had tried to club him with something and was watching for him when he came home. While Al didn't specify when it had happened, it was her understanding that it had, that the incident had occurred recently. She said that Al appeared very upset and even frightened when relaying the story to her. He was shaking and his face was red. When she asked if he had told anyone or planned to do anything about it, Al re- replied, quote, what's to do? I guess at least you know how you're going out of this world how you're going to die. Wow. Unquote. <laughs> when she finally asked which son he was referring to, he indicated that it was Andrew. Um, I should mention that it, when his remains were found, it was determined that he died from blunt force trauma to the head and face. So it's, you know, obviously ties he's already in, been tie, attacked. Ties in with that. Yeah. Yeah. So you can obviously deduce by the fact that I keep referring to testimony that a trial took place. So on August 18, 2003, the state filed a criminal complaint against Anderson, charging him with first-degree intentional homicide of his father on or about July 2, 1998, since they don't really know exactly when it happened, in the town of Sullivan, Jefferson County. I found the bulk of this information on wisconsincourts.gov. it's State of Wisconsin versus Derek Anderson. Google it and you can find a whole lot of information that I didn't even include in, in this episode. Um, a couple of other points I wanted to bring up. I mentioned at the beginning that Al's remains were found in North Carolina, just 10 miles from where Andrew once attended college. Oh, boy. Uh, he was an avid hiker and spent time in the National Forest where the remains were so found. So he would have totally known this area. Absolutely. Yeah. This was like this a is stomping all ground for him. Circumstantial or not, this is all adding up to a pretty yeah. big piece of... More than just coincidence. Yeah. 
He was actually treated for poison ivy two weeks after his family disappeared. Oh, boy. Witnesses and other evidence suggested that he disliked his family and had previously threatened to kill them. It's also been suggested that he was broke and that the family estate was worth around $600,000. Family and friends stated that they pegged Andrew right from the start. Now, if you're like me, you want to know what happened to the dog, right? Exactly. (laughs) So, unfortunately, near Allen's body um, in North Carolina were a woman's t-shirt, a pair of men's briefs, a wedding ring later identified as Donna's, and the remains of a dog, which authorities believe may have been the Carnax dog, although this could not be confirmed because, I mean, it's not like you can check DNA. Why would he kill the dog? I don't know. That makes no sense. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he worried the dog would, like, alert people. I don't know. There is no sign of Thomas or Donna at the scene, and like I said earlier, they've never been found. Um, fun fact, Derek, or Andrew, whatever you want to call him, actually served time in prison for federal loan fraud. He was also previously convicted for breaking and entering, drunk driving, driving with a revoked license, and probation violation. But I feel like none of those, it's a big jump from those to murder. Yeah, it all occurred shortly after the disappearance, though. So oh. he did all of these things between their disappearance. Okay, and like then that's kind of con- weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. While no one has been charged with Tom and Donna's disappearance, it's believed that he killed them and disposed of their bodies somewhere in North Carolina as well. To this day, he refuses to help detectives locate the remains, and he is serving a life sentence without the chance of parole. Has he admitted that he did it? No. No, he won't help them in any way or admit guilt in any way. So one last piece of information. There was actually another phone call placed to Al's place of employment after the family went missing. It wasn't mentioned in any articles or in the court records. And the reason that I know that this call occurred because I was working as a temp at Wisconsin Electric in July of 1998, and I took that phone call. Wow, really? (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that's cool. It's crazy. You do have a little bit of a connection to this. So it's been 20 years, and the details are kind of fuzzy. But I know that he initially asked if his dad was there. Um, I transferred him to Al, and when he didn't answer, the call either bounced back or he called back. And uh, I couldn't see Al's desk from my cube because I, I remember kind of how the office was set up. I remember Al. And he you had to walk kind of down this along. A, it was like all these cubes were in the middle of a big room, and you had to walk along the wall to get like to the far end where Al's cube was. So I couldn't see him. I couldn't see that he wasn't there. That's um, nuts. I didn't realize that you had that kind of... Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I talked to this guy. That's nuts. <laughs> so um, he said that he was worried about them because they hadn't returned from their trip up north and that he couldn't get a hold of them. That's all I really remember about the phone call. I remember being like, whoa, this is above my pay grade. So I remember getting someone else from the company to talk to him because he was like freaking out. Um, so that's that's really all the... But still, the memory I have of that. But yeah, it is pretty cool. It is kind of freaky. Wow. I remember Al. I remember what he looked like. He had like a longish gray beard. He was really small in stature. He was a skinny guy. Very quiet. Wasn't like somebody who like stopped and talked to people unless he knew him really well. But he was really nice. Yeah. Um, Very reserved. I think I transferred to another location shortly after this happened. And it just kind of... I kind of forgot about it until, you know, because I I think I left and I didn't realize it didn't come out that the whole family was missing and they weren't found. And I don't know, I was in my early 20s and it just didn't strike me as 
anything significant at that time but but still. learning in retrospect like what happened yeah and that i talked to this guy that's crazy that i'm a small part of that story is just kind of crazy so anyway that's my story of the karnak family murders wow interesting yeah i know you had like a connection to it but i didn't realize that mm-hmm. that's interesting mm-hmm. yeah i was watching something on investigation discovery yesterday because I was on the couch and the remote was across the room and I couldn't be bothered to get up and cross it. So I was just watching it and I was playing around on my phone. But it was like a, I think, see no evil where they, okay. it all involves catching people with, with camera footage. Oh, and it was I've one, it. it was one with a girl in a casino okay. and this guy ended up, when they walked out of the casino together, he ended up beating her and putting her in his trunk and taking her and they found her blood dna in his trunk and a strand of her hair and the guy to this day denies it and like the mom badly even though he's wants on video the, beating the mom her? he's not on video beating her but you can see them leaving the casino mm. and then her car because the camera like rotates so you don't see what happened when they walked out but mm. her car never left and they found like i said her blood that's pretty yeah. damning. And the mom just wants to know where she is. And this guy won't. He, he denies it. Even though even though it's obvious he did it. Hmm. You know. And and she wants to know just where. give the family some closure. I know. And that's what this reminds me of. It's Ugh. like, I understand what you did was horrible. But, you know. Is I, he I, in jail? Like, yeah, did he get convicted yeah, of it? Yeah. Then just give him the and information. And the mom recently wrote a letter saying you know would you please tell me where her remains are so i can have some closure and right. and i just don't i mean to me i mean killing somebody is evil but to me it's yeah. even more evil because you're you're ruining that family by not giving them the closure they need right. and that's kind of what your your thing reminds yeah. me of it's like we know you did it why are you but on the other hand there are people that are innocent that 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 tell everybody they're innocent and then it turns out they are. Mm-hmm. So I mean I get that but if you did it tell tell you're tell already the serving fa- a yeah, life tell sentence. the family you know get yeah. it off your conscience at least but I don't think a conscience is something that these people worry about if they They don't have one. Do this stuff to somebody. <laughs> yeah. So no, that's really interesting. Mm, thank you. I, I hope that, that was... they find the remains someday. Yeah, maybe. Someone will stumble across something someday, maybe. But I always worry about that geocaching, that we're going to be out in the middle oh, of the woods somewhere and we're going to find a body. Like, I don't want to ever find a body. Yeah. You know. Do you think we should have put, like, a disclaimer on the beginning of this one? Like, would you want your kid listening to a story about murders? That's every episode. I mean, we don't, I'm not, I don't want to put a disclaimer on every episode. I yeah. think that. I guess I started by saying it's the Karnak family murders. Yeah. But no, I would. Okay. I wouldn't. I mean, I think we'd have to basically put a disclaimer on every one of our because <laughs> yeah. they're all either scary or, or disturbing dark. in some way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You can edit all that out. I, I just... might leave that in. That was a nice okay. little behind the scenes discussion. Sure. But I think you know, like I've talked to Dash and stuff, and Anna, you know, his daughter Anna listens and all that, and I think he says that they know that. You know, well, what in we're the moment, I'm about... sure they turn it off if it's yeah not appropriate for yeah. her. So, good story. Thanks. Very interesting. Thank you. So, cool. My topic is actually one that I've been interested in since I was a kid. And a couple people have brought it up as wanting us to do this. And that is number stations. Number stations. Yeah. Do you know you know, you know know a little bit about number stations, I right? mean, it has to do with, like, spy stuff, right? Yeah. Sort of. Okay. Yeah. Is it Russian? 
it's all over. Okay. Okay. But a couple people have suggested we do this, and it's not really a mystery anymore what it is. Back right. in the day, people didn't really know for sure. They Did they use that on the Americans? Yes, they did okay. that on the Americans. That's what I, I thought. I saw them do that, and I was like, yay. <laughs> but uh, number stations are something that I've been interested in ever since I was a kid. And I don't remember. I was actually going to bring the book, and I don't remember what year the book came out, but I want to say it was the 80s. There was a book by the author William Poundstone called Big Secrets. And I stumbled across this book at the library one day and checked it out. And I loved this book. And then Corey loved it too. My brother Corey loved it too. And since that one, he has come out with bigger secrets and biggest secrets. Oh, okay. And we own all three of them. And right. Corey and I, I'm constantly borrowing them to reread them. Then I give them back to Corey and then I constantly <laughs> borrow them. These are some of my favorite books. And when this came out in the 80s, I mean, it's it's a nonfiction book and it's all about... Like secret, like secret stuff that, you know, like it was about what he thought the formula was for Coca-Cola, what he thought oh, the, the seasoning was in Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh. He talked about like how David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. Okay. Which at the, which now people kind of know, but at the time, like. How did he do it? Because. Some uh, kind of optical illusion probably. Well, what happened was people were on the island, right? Yeah. And they were sitting on this like raised platform and they were sitting in folding chairs and there were two arches on either side with lights and stuff. And in between the arches was the Statue of Liberty there. Okay. So he pulled a curtain shut and then he talked for a little bit, pulled the curtain back and it's gone. Okay. There was nothing there. You know, they had searchlights going and there was nothing there. And then he talked for a little bit and then he opened it and it was there again. Hmm. And how he did it was the platform that everybody was on. Spins. Sp- Spun really slowly, like so that you couldn't it. notice it. So when he opened the curtain, the statue was actually behind, behind one them. of the arches that were all lit uh, up, so you couldn't see the Statue of Liberty. It's big though, damn. That must but be a it, big with arch. the lights coming at you, yeah. you're not going to be able to see. And if it's at night, yeah. So okay. it was like that. It was all stuff like that. He talked about like backwards messages and records. He talked about subliminal messages. He talked about uh, like some of the later books talked about. I just zipped up my coat in case. Okay, that's what that noise was. In, the audio. Yeah. <laughs> in some of the later books, he talked about um, like Mount Weather, which what which is a a place in a mountain in Virginia where, in the event of a nuclear war, the president and all those people oh. would go. That's basically a functioning city underneath this mountain. They're stocking seeds and yes. things like that. Yeah. Okay. And back in the day, nobody knew this was there. So this kind of broke that story. Okay. And now now they have shows about it on Discovery Channel and stuff. And I think there's multiple places yeah. like so that. Yeah, so these big secrets, biggest secrets, bigger secrets were all about stuff we weren't supposed to know. And the first one had a chapter about number stations. And I've always been super fascinated by radio. Hmm. Like, I love radio. I don't know why. Because I was thinking about this yesterday. Like, I love... Like radio station, listening for radio stations. Like I'm surprised I never was a shortwave geek because oh. I love that. But then on the other you hand, mean you're talking about like ham radio, ham radio. type stuff, yeah, not this like is, not no, like WIX. No, but I like that too. I love okay. radio. They like the idea of AM FM radio, okay. which is dying kind of because nobody really listens to it anymore. Right. We but all listen I'm just to podcasts. Kind of, I always was fascinated by like shortwave radio. And okay. when I was a kid, I had one of those kits from Radio Shack where it gives you wires and springs and circuits, and you put it together and you can listen to uh, shortwave radio. Okay. Like I used to listen to Voice of America and, and Russian radio and stuff. So I've always been into that. So I always thought that was really cool. 
So basically, number stations are strange radio transmissions that are found by shortwave radio users. And they are kind of weird and kind of eerie. So we're going to play a sound clip of one of these now. So imagine that you are going through the shortwave radio dial in the middle of the night, in the dark, hearing nothing but static, and then you come across this. interesting yeah so if you heard that you'd be like what did i just hear right i mean it sounded like german it was german it was a it was a german number station okay so that's kind of what they sound like and i mean they're still on there so if you're going through the shortwave you know radio signals looking for stuff and you come across that why would it still be out there they're still out there they're still being used oh they are okay yep but we'll get to that okay so that's a number station. They're creepy. Yeah. They're weird. Uh, for the longest time, there was really only speculation about what these things were, but now it's basically out in the open. Okay. And they still use them. And they still use them. <laughs> what would become known as number stations basically began with the advent of Morse code and started being used during World War I. Basically, a number station is a transmitted message containing information, usually coded, sended, sended. Sent from one party to another party. It's a way to maintain secure communication. Mm -hmm. According to the Number Station Research and Information website, Anton Habsburg, Archduke of Austria, was a huge radio geek. Because of his position, he had access to radio equipment that most people didn't have. He quickly stumbled across sites that were transmitting Morse code numbers and became fascinated with these. He would listen every day and write down the numbers, dropping off 30 pages of his notes at the war office the next day on his way home from school. He was one of the earliest people and possibly the very first person to notice a number station broadcast. Hmm. Shortwave came into use in the early 1920s. So now I'm going to give you a little really brief lesson on radio. Okay. Higher, longer, or medium frequency signals like the AM and FM band can only travel in a straight line a short distance, diminishing in strength when they hit obstacles like buildings or hills. Okay. You know, like your car radio when you go into a tunnel. Yeah. Okay. It's it's staticky. Staticky. Yeah. And, you know, like the AM, FM signals can only go so far. But these signals, the medium and long wave radio signals, have a higher fidelity, which is good for transmitting music. So these became the dominant over-the-air communication method in the decades that followed and okay. still used today. Yeah. Shortwave radio signals, however, can travel far enough to bounce off of a layer of charged particles in the upper atmosphere, bouncing back down to Earth, then back up again, allowing them to zigzag between the Earth and the sky and to travel thousands of miles. Hmm. That's why I could be in my basement, you know, where I used to live on a radio shack 
kit and listen to Radio Moscow. Right. You know, because that's how shortwave signals can bounce back. They can bounce all the way around the world. At night, this layer of charged particles in the sky rises to its highest point, which increases the angle that a signal can be reflected, increasing the distance even more. Some AM and FM frequency signals do manage to hit this layer, which is why AM and FM signals seem to come in better at night than in the daytime, hmm. which is true. And then sometimes I've noticed on cloudy days, the radio signals are better. It's like they don't have as far to, and yeah, I could be making yeah. this up, but no, you know, when I, the that's true. I don't know. Low, I don't know how the atmospheric stuff works with that, but it's true. On like some cloudy days, you'll get better radio reception, mm-hmm. but that's basically how shortwave is able to get so far that it can bounce off this atmosphere layer back down back up back down and zigzag its way around the world as time went on it became apparent that this was probably the best way to send a secure message to someone a great distance away it was used a lot in world war ii to get messages across enemy lines as code started being cracked however Russia came up with the idea of using something called a one-time pad or an OTP. So now imagine that this is a one-time pad. I got, it's our, our uh, what are these called? Post-it notes. Post-it notes. <laughs> it's like, how many are in here? That's got to be at least 100. Yeah, sure. So this is basically what like a one-time pad would look like. Okay. What would happen is the transmission that you're hearing, it starts off with music or some kind of tone that is going to signify who this message is going to okay like that jaunty little tone the That's swedish rhapsody or someone yeah that one that we played at the beginning was known as swedish rhapsody okay so like if i was on the shortwave waiting for a signal and i heard that i would know that that message is directed at me okay so after that music played saying that this is my message the first couple numbers tell you what page in this pack of notes okay you need to look at And every page in this pack of notes has a different grid of random letters and numbers. All different. Okay. So then I would go to that page. I would use that grid of letters and numbers to decode the message that they were sending. Okay. And you must have a cipher of some kind to know how to decode it. To know how to decode it. So because all these pages are different, there's no real pattern to the code being used, so it makes this almost impossible to break. You okay. can't really use letter frequency decryption methods since it's constantly changing. Right. So this is basically impossible to break. Hmm. And then after I use that page to decode my message, you either eat that page or burn, burn it, it to destroy it. Okay. So it's seriously like a foolproof way to get coded messages hmm. across the world to somebody else. Which is why they're still using it. Which is why they're still <laughs> using it. Yep. According to the 2017 BBC article called, quote, The Ghostly Radio Station That No One Claims to Run, <laughs> the article says, quote, Soon even the British were using one-time pads. If you can't beat them, join them, as they say. It's quite difficult to generate a completely random number because a system for doing so will, by its very nature, be predictable, exactly what you're trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. Instead, officers in London found an ingenious solution. They'd hang a microphone out of the window of Oxford Street and record the traffic. David Stupples, an expert in signals intelligence from City University London, says, quote, There might be a bus beeping the same time as a policeman shouting. The sound is unique. It will never happen again. Then they'd convert this sound pattern into a number and then that number into random codes. Hmm. So that is how they made the one-time pad random. The same article goes on to say, quote, 
During World War II, the British realized that they could, in fact, decipher the messages, but they'd have to get their hands on the one-time pad that was being used to encrypt them. Anthony Glees, the director for the Center for Security and Intelligence Studies at the University of Buckingham, says, quote, We discovered that the Russians were using the out-of-date sheets of one-time pads as substitute toilet paper in Russian army hospitals in East Germany. So shortly after that, British intelligence officers soon found themselves spending their days going through the contents of Soviet latrines. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a a crappy job. Yeah, someone's got to do it. Yeah, so... Yeah, they were using nice one time pun, Kurt. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> So yeah, they were using the one time pads as one time pads, basically. Oh, okay. Uh. <laughs> Imagine going through that looking for coded messages. No, no, thank you. In the years since World War II, bizarre unknown stations started popping up all across the shortwave band. These transmissions were technically illegal, since they were basically pirate transmissions with no known or registered source, and these transmissions would sometimes encroach on other signals. Hmm. A lot of ham radio enthusiasts became obsessed with these strange transmissions and began cataloging the frequencies that they could be found on. A few newsletters were published, but the book Big Secrets by William Poundstone really brought it out into the open. And I just talked about this. The beginning of a transmission usually uses some kind of tone or music clip or something that acts as an identifier for the station itself, the intended recipient, or both. So if you are the intended recipient, you recognize the identifier and know that the transmission is meant for you. Then the first set of numbers or letters tells you what page of the one-time pad to use. Then, for the actual message, some stations use words, some use the phonetic alphabet, some still use Morse code, but almost all of them use numbers. Some of the stations sound like they use a human person, while others sound like they use a computer-generated voice like the phone companies uses, you know, Mm -hmm. for, like, time and temperature. Dial zero for assistance. After the numbers are read, the stations usually sign off with a word signifying that the transmission is over, like the word end in whatever language the numbers are in. Many stations have received nicknames that reflect some defining characteristic of the station. For example, the one we played at the start of the story is called Swedish Rhapsody because it begins with a fragment of that song. Other well-known stations include Cherry Ripe, The Spanish Lady, and The Child. Then, in 1997, a company called, I think it's Erdial, it's I-R-D-I-A-L, Erdial, Erdial, A company called Erdial Discs released a recording called The Conet Project, which was a four-CD compilation of number station recordings along with a booklet that talked about the strange transmissions and theorized about what they could be. The Conet Project CD kind of came and went without a blip, but these days it has a huge cult following among conspiracy theorists, shortwave radio fans, and musicians. Several musicians have incorporated these recordings into their work. In 2001, for example, the rock band Wilco named their best-selling album after this number station. Zero. Group one. Zero. Text. Text. November. Lima. Sierra. Victor. November. Yeah, and Wilco 
because of this number station, named one of their best-selling albums, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Uh-huh. And that's what this number station is called, okay. is Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is. And it's. I like the voice on this one, actually. Yeah. I don't know what... what Foxtrot? I don't know what language... I'm, it's, well, she's um, speaking English. I know, but I'm saying it sounds like a French accent, maybe. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't mean, say French. There's number stations for every possible language you're going to come across. You I know. thought it had more of an English spin on it. Possibly. But, yeah. but at, at this time, people were becoming more and more fascinated with these things and wanted to know, what are these? You know, Because they would pop up randomly on the dial, random times. Mm-hmm. It'd be, it would be weird to stumble on this and yeah, be like, it would what be. the heck? <laughs> a 1998 article in the Daily Telegraph quoted a spokesperson for the Department of Trade and Industry as saying, quote, These stations are what you suppose they are. People shouldn't be mystified by them. They are not for, shall we say, public consumption. Mm-hmm. Then in 1998, a network of Cuban spies were arrested and put on trial for espionage. The prosecutors claimed the spies were using handheld shortwave receivers to listen to what was known as the Atencion number station, writing down the codes received, typing the numbers into laptop computers to decode their instructions. And why don't use laptop computer to decode your, you know, you're going to have a record of... It's all traceable. It's all traceable. Mm -hmm. That just kind of surprised me. So, of course, they got busted. The FBI testified that they had entered a spy's apartment in 1995 and copied the computer decryption program for the number code, which they used then to decode hundreds of messages. Some of the messages that were revealed during the trial were things like, quote, prioritize and continue to strengthen friendship with Joe and Dennis. Quote, under no circumstances should agents German nor Castor fly with BTTR or another organization on days 24, 25, 26, and 27. And, quote, congratulations, all the female comrades for International Day of the Woman. Okay. So those were some of the coded messages. Those are the kinds of messages yeah. that are transmitted with number stations. Makes sense to someone. Yeah. <laughs> So that pretty much solved the mystery as to what the stations were for. They were for spies communicating, you know, and that's, you know, for us to communicate with spies and spies to communicate back with us. Mm -hmm. So now that we know what they're for, here is another well-known clip. This one is called the Lincolnshire Poacher. It was cute. <laughs> but, you know, I could see how these are creepy. Like if you're a little bit, yeah. if you're out at night listening to your shortwave station mm-hmm. and I, it's less creepy now that you know what they're for. Yeah. At the time, people had no idea. People right. didn't know if it was aliens. I mean, something that was one of the sinister. theories, something sinister. But yeah. it's just a way for to, for spy communication. Well, and I mean, it could be, you know, for bad stuff. We don't know. Yeah. 
But I think it's just, it's neat because this is something that you usually don't get to hear. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're hearing spy communication. Yeah. Which is really cool. It is and like, cool. I've mentioned it on the podcast several times. I'm like fascinated with spies and Cold War espionage and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I think it's just really interesting. Me too. Uh, so there was a pretty big drop in number station activity following the collapse of the Soviet Union. Shocking. In 2013, a German couple was put on trial for spying for Russia and giving away military secrets. They were actually caught while receiving a number station broadcast. Oh, really? Bummer. Yeah. North Korea revived number station broadcasts in July 2016 after not doing them for over 15 years. According to the website War on the Rocks, in an article called, quote, Explaining the Mystery of Number Stations, the article says, North Korea's state shortwave radio station... Radio Pyongyang, I think that's how you Sounds pronounce right. it. Radio Pyongyang broadcast messages disguised as mathematics or physics problems for quote distant university students. The intended recipient is indicated by the song played before the transmission, and an identification number is given at the start of the math problem, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is kind of kind of cool. Nice try. I don't, yeah, I don't think that's going to fool anybody. <laughs> no, you know. But that's basically how they're using number stations. They make it look like it's a math problem sent to a quote distant distant university student. (laughs) They don't know what we're up to. Not all of these stations follow the number station pattern. One interesting example was a station called Yosemite Sam. This station started showing up around Christmas 2004 and used four different shortwave frequencies. The station would start with what sounded like a burst of data noise that lasted for 0.8 seconds, followed by a clip of Yosemite Sam saying, quote, Varmint, I'm going to blow you to smithereens. <laughs> then it would play again on one of its different frequencies. This entire pattern took precisely two minutes and always began seven seconds after the top of the hour. So this is the Yosemite Sam. So that is Yosemite Sam. I love it. Uh, people, it's my favorite. <laughs> it is cool. People didn't know what it was for, though. People didn't know if that little buzzing sound at the yeah. beginning was some kind of data burst that would go to, I don't know, a modem, a, a fax machine, something. So people had no idea. According to Wikipedia, two amateur radio operators claimed to have triangulated the source of the Yosemite Sam broadcast in February 2005 as being located at the MATIC Center in a factory owned by Laguna Industries located near the small town of Laguna, New Mexico, about 50 miles southwest of Albuquerque. The two quickly left as they were approached by security guards after taking photographs of the site. Three hours later, the Yosemite Sam broadcast allegedly stopped and have not been heard since. Hmm. And it's weird. Like, why would this factory have been broadcasting that? You know, people speculate that the factory was a front for some kind of intelligence operations. But there was also, they don't know what these transmissions were for. You know, there was no... It follows a different format. Yeah, there was no obvious data being Hmm. given. So people never figured out what the Yosemite Sam broadcasts were Mm. for. Yeah. And lastly, we get to the transmission known as UVB-76 or the buzzer. And this is that transmission.
Interesting. I yeah. can hear a voice in there. Yeah, that's the buzzer. And surprisingly, for as kind of boring as this one is, people are obsessed with this. There mm. are actually YouTube channels that are live broadcasts of this. Really? Yeah. I was watching. So I this actually, is one that's happening right now. Yeah. Okay. A 2017 Daily Dot Dot Com article called, quote, Has Russian Radio Signal UVB-76 Been Solved After 40 Years? Says, quote, The radio signal that occupies 4,625 kilohertz has reportedly been broadcasting since the late 1970s. The earliest known recording of it is dated 1982. Ever since curious owners of shortwave radios first discovered this signal, it has broadcast a repeated buzzing noise. Every few years, the buzzer stops and a Russian voice reads a mixture of numbers and Russian names. And this is what comes through sometimes. It almost sounds like the horn of a cruise ship. It does. <laughs> but those are like the obviously Russian... You know, it sounds like names. It's yeah, probably a phonetic. I heard Tatiana. Yeah, it's probably a. I like that name. Uh-huh. It's probably a phonetic alphabet of some kind. Probably. So the article like we use alpha. Yep, yeah, alpha. Yeah, yeah. Yep. The article went on to say, "Quote: It's easy to dismiss the signal as pre-recorded or a looping tone, but what listeners quickly realized was that UVB-76 is not a recording. The buzzer noise is generated manually." Really? Yeah. The reason for hearing partial conversations and banging noises in the background of the signal is that a speaker is creating the buzzing noise and that speaker is constantly placed next to the microphone, which is kept open, giving the world an eerie insight into whatever cavern the signal originates from. Hmm. Online chatter about the signal increased in 2010 as bizarre broadcasts were issued on an almost monthly basis. Snippets of Swan Lake were played. A female voice counted from one to nine, a question mark was transmitted in Morse code, and strange telephone conversations were overheard by listeners. What does a question mark sound like in Morse code? I don't know. Hmm. There are a lot of theories about what this is for. You know, some people think it's just a general number station. Other people think that it's a channel kept open by the military to communicate with each other. Another theory proposed by the BBC article I mentioned earlier says that it's possibly something called a dead hand signal. The idea behind this is that a computer is automatically monitoring this channel. In the event of a nuclear attack on Russia, the signal would stop, which would cause the computer to automatically retaliate with a nuclear strike. And this article, when it came out, freaked out a lot of people. A lot of people bought into the idea that this is something called a dead hand signal. Hmm. You know, like if we bomb Russia, this signal stops signaling for them to bomb us back, even if they're already all dead. Mm-hmm. You know, so people were kind of like... That's unnerving. Yeah, people about. were like, that's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people are obsessed with this thing. There's so many sites dedicated. And like I said, there's so many channels. I could, I think I did download an app that I could play this on my computer and listen to it 24 7 Hmm. you know so people just love this thing maris goldmanis a radio enthusiast who regularly listens to the buzzer told the bbc that in 2013 the station issued a special message quote command 135 issued which is supposedly a coded message for full combat readiness Hmm. 
That's what scary. Year? 2013. Okay. The former transmitter was believed to have been located near Pavarovo, Russia. The location was unknown until it was triangulated and narrowed down after the first known voice broadcast made in 1997. In September 2010, the station's transmitter was moved to the nearby city of St. Petersburg, where right after it came back online, it announced its official call sign as, quote, MDZHB. Presently, the buzzer is believed to be broadcast from the 69th communication hub in Moscow. In 2011, a group of urban explorers explored a bunch of abandoned buildings at Pavarovo, discovering an abandoned military base. Inside one of the buildings, a radio log record was found confirming the operation of a transmitter at the frequency of 4,625 kHz, which was one of the stations the buzzer was known to transmit on. Hmm. So basically now it's known that it belongs to the Russian military, that they think it's just a Russian military you know, maybe keeping it open for something or people don't still don't exactly know what it's used for, you know, which is, is, a, little it, scary. Which is a little scary, but it, it's known that it belongs to the Russian military. Okay. The same article states, quote, an image posted on the Russian Wikipedia seems to confirm the military communication theory. A small framed piece of paper in an administration and enlistment office of the Russian army refers to 4,625 kilohertz, the broadcasting frequency of the buzzer. With this so prominently displayed, it's possible to confirm that the signal is not a dead-hand switch, nor is the signal intended to be a secret. While the mystery of UVB-76 may have been solved, its legion of followers and obsessives will continue to listen. Thousands of people across the world tune into the signal every day, hoping to catch one of the ethereal voice messages. That's kind of cool. Like, you it never is, know yeah. when it's going to happen. Yep. And that is number stations. All that's right. That's all, you know, it's just a way for espionage it's just a way to communicate with spies well and i think the kind of scary creepy part is we don't know what they're communicating no exactly it could be launch the nukes but you know like when when they when they uh decoded those couple of messages and one of them was like congratulations yeah uh, female comrades on the day of the women Mm -hmm. you know i just thought that was kind of cool that they actually did that yeah you know and a lot of it a lot of people speculate that a lot of these aren't even actual messages that Whoever is transmitting them wants everybody to think they're still transmitting messages, even though they're really not. Uh, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It's misdirection. Yeah, it is mis. And it, it, you know, it's a lot of it's psychological. Where if you think that yeah. this country is constantly doing that, that they must have spies everywhere, and they might not. And they might know something yeah. you don't know. And but gotta... these are still being used, and the, they're less mysterious now that everybody kind of knows what they're for. Mm-hmm. But yeah, on the Americans. Uh, in their basement, they mm-hmm. had like a secret panel that had a transmitter. Yeah. And they would, you could actually hear them listening to number stations. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd have their pad and stuff. So I've always been fascinated by this. It's a little, now that we know what it is, it's a little less mystifying. The history but behind it is really it cool. It is. Though. It is really neat. And I think that's, that's it for number stations. All right. Very cool. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect mini mystery. It is. Because that wasn't enough for a full episode. Right. We played a couple of them, and if you are interested in these, go on YouTube, type in number stations. You are going to find tons of different ones. Okay. Nice. So do we have a voicemail? We have a voicemail message. It is a voicemail we got from our stranger, Amanda Burke, and the audio quality is not that great. She had a really bad cold at the time. We messaged back and (laughs) forth after she sent it. Nice. So Amanda, I hope you're feeling better. Yeah, I hope you're feeling better. And she just wanted to relay a little bit of a story to us. She gets cut off before... It hits like the three-minute mark, and she gets cut off, but she was just going to end it 
there anyway. Okay. So <laughs> you'll get the gist of what she is talking about. Like I said, it's kind of hard to hear. So here is a voicemail from Amanda Burke. Hi, Ted and Krista. This is Amanda calling you from the darkest timeline. That is Sacramento rush hour traffic. I just finished listening to the season four episode, and you guys said you haven't gotten a call in a while, so I figured I'd call since I'll be basically stuck here forever. Um, I'm just going to tell you real quick about the house I grew up in. It's Westchester, uh, Illinois, which is uh, maybe about 20 minutes west of Chicago. So whenever I hear your guys' accents, even though I'm over in uh, California, I get a little homesick and nostalgic. Anyway, so I spent uh, the earlier part of my life there, uh, before my brother and sister were born, I slept in a room by myself, and I was always afraid to be in there, because I could always remember seeing in the corner a shadow, and I could never figure out what that shadow was. I knew it terrified me, and it wasn't like a night terror sort of thing, or anything where you can't move. I would always spray myself into the covers and we would room for breathing and then hiding for the rest of the night. Um, and at the same time, I was always having these dreams uh, of this woman, older woman in the attic. I thought of her as like a witch, but she never did any witchy kind of stuff. Um, and she would always tell me that uh, I was hers and I could never leave the house. And I, my dreams that I would be stuck up stairs and I could like see my family doing stuff around me, but I'd never be able to talk to them. Anyway, this is like typical kid nightmare stuff uh, going on at the same time. But the really weird part is that a little while or a few years later, um, my house got carbon monoxide, and it was really, really bad. Like if we had stayed doing just a couple more hours in the house, we all would have died. And the weird thing, and my mom, um, the reason we survived is my mom thought randomly that we needed to get carbon monoxide detectors. And so she wouldn't let it go, even though it was like 9 o'clock at night. And my dad finally took her, uh, we went to, they went to the store, they got carbon monoxide detectors, plugged it in, it went off right away. They're like, okay, it must be faulty. They went to my grandma's house, borrowed hers, brought it back, plugged it in, it went off right away. Uh, so they called the fire department, and we spent the whole night in the hospital, and we were all really young, me and my siblings. And so after that, uh, I never had that dream or, like, saw that shadow figure in the corner ever again. And I would tell my sister that it was because, you know, the house tried to... Wow. Yeah, I don't know. That's just, there's so much like weirdness. There's the shadow in the corner. There is the dreams of the lady That's telling her that she's hers or that they're hers. And then there's the stuff with the, you know, the carbon monoxide thing almost seems like a psychic premonition that yeah. something wasn't right. Yeah. But how does that tie in with the shadow figure and the, the dreams of the old lady? Maybe they don't. I don't know, but then why? Why did those end Mm -hmm. after the carbon monoxide stuff? Yeah, that is weird. You know, was it maybe the carbon monoxide was causing weird dreams? It's very possible. (laughs) It's very, it's very possible. Mm. You know, I don't know. There's nothing more unnerving than a shadow in the corner of a dark room when you don't know what it is. Yeah, I've never seen a shadow person. Yeah, that I can recall, but 
That would really freak me out. Yeah, that would really freak me out too. So thank you so much, Amanda. I hope you're feeling better. Yeah, it she sounds did like sound she had. Sick. She sounds like she had the cold I had over the holidays, where it mm. just would not leave, and I stayed stuffed up for such a long time. So she said she just wanted to give us a call because we were begging for people to call. <laughs> we said we were desperate. She so listened. thank you so much, Amanda. Yeah, thank That's you. That's a weird story. Uh, thanks again to um, Coleman. Yeah. For these amazing gifts. Just yeah. One more gratuitous. Krista loves her. Big this foot. is probably going to show up in every episode. Probably. Now, just saying. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I love it. I'm it's thinking so we have cool. time for a listener question. Oh, we do. Definitely. We probably have time for two listener questions. Okay. From Anonymous. What did you think you'd do as a profession when you were a little kid? Uh, music. Really? Oh, yeah. My family's wildly... I don't know if I knew that about you. Really? Oh, my family's very musical. I was a music major my first... Two years in college, yeah. I definitely thought I would have a career in music somehow. But given the fact like, that I like, had like severe making, stage fright. Ma- making music? Performing, probably. Until I realized that I like what, hate what instruments? performing. Well, I studied classical piano for 20 years and I Can sing. Can you play the piano? Well, it's not like riding a bike. I haven't played it in 20 years. Huh. I was good, though. I, I don't mean, think I, I was really good. I don't think I knew that. Really? Yeah. That's weird. If I did, oh. I forgot. Huh. Yeah, I was, I mean, I can play a little guitar, I sing, I, my whole family plays guitar, sings, so I definitely had dreams from a young age of doing music, but I, I'm i an introvert, I don't like performing in front of people, and that's why I switched to an English major, because I'm like, okay, I either have to perform or teach, and I don't want to do either of those, Yeah. <laughs> so I'll be an English major. <laughs> interesting so yeah that's what i always thought i was gonna be i never thought about being like a doctor uh whatever an astronaut i wasn't one of those oh kids. god i don't ever want to be an astronaut yeah, i think i wanted to be <laughs> I like a rock star to be an astronaut that's really interesting yeah. i did not know that about you so what did you want to be when you grew up i, I wanted to be a ton of different things i mean as a <laughs> little kid the first thing i can remember wanting to be is a scientist mm-hmm. you know that i was like sense. fascinated with that stuff and then I went through a period where when I was a little older, I wanted to be a magician. Mm. I wanted to be MacGyver. I don't know <laughs> what that entails. <laughs> Carrying a Swiss army knife and... Holding up your um, notes with a clam <laughs> cane. With a clam cane. <laughs> That's a MacGyver um, move. I thought about... I wanted to be a police officer when I was a little kid. Interesting. Um, wow, you're all over the place. I was all over the place. I, with I still these little phases. I still don't know what I want to be. But, uh, you know, as I got older... There was a period, and I look back on this now that I really regret this, but there was a period where I really wanted to look into being a DJ, like a radio DJ. Oh. But I didn't think I a had like jockey. I didn't think I had like a decent voice. Huh. And I didn't And here you are hosting I know, a podcast. I know. And it's like <laughs> crap. I'm like realizing now I probably would have liked to, to be a DJ. Mm-hmm. You know, so that I regret not doing that. But Hey man, it's never too late. No. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm finishing my associate's degree at 43. That's true. So. That's true. But as I, you know, as I got older, I wanted to go for an English degree because mm-hmm. I loved literature. I still do. Mm-hmm. And I got my degree in literature, basically. That's great, but what do you do with that, right? I teach, teach, but I did not go on to get certified to teach. Mm-hmm. And I just figured something would fall in my lap. Not knowing that what would fall in my lap was a crappy factory job. Right. You know, but it's nice because, uh, like, my friend Maddie just, when I at work on Monday, brought me a paper to proofread. Oh, that's You cool. know, so yeah. I'm still kind of using my English degree. Mm-hmm. But if 
if I could go back to do anything, I would be an English professor at a small little college somewhere. Broadcasting. Oh, not the DJ? No. Oh, I would okay. I would like to be an English professor. I think I would be a good English professor. Hmm. That's probably more schooling though, right? Yeah. But in some a ways, professor? a lot of people that know me say I wouldn't because I am easily swayed by females. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we'll just say that. <laughs> There'd be all sorts of scandal. <laughs> there, there would be. Yeah. Everybody's getting A's. <laughs> <laughs> so I maybe wouldn't have been the best. Hmm. You know, flutter your eyes at me. All right, I'll bump you up from a D to an A. <laughs> right. You know, so I'm kind of a sucker that way. So I don't think I would have been a good... I don't you know. You could be a tutor. You could be an English tutor. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I just wanted to be a lot of different things. I I really wanted to be an English professor, but... Oh, well. Yeah. Next life. Right. <laughs> we'll see. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with my job. Things are real still, mm. still really sketchy there right now. And the next couple months look really bleak. So <sighs> I could very well be out of a job. That's not good. Which is not good. But on the other hand, it forces me to look for something else. Right. Because we've mentioned this on here. I am somebody that would stay someplace that I'm miserable just because I'm familiar with it. He hates change. As opposed to taking yep. a chance on something that would make me happy. That's how you got this job is because the last place closed down, right? I got laid off because that was when right. the economy took that big poop yep. back and So you were, well, you like, did you like, remember I, I like met you guys at Jen's Java that day. I messaged you guys and said, I'm out of a job oh, man. and we met for coffee that day, huh. you know, and I went for like a year and a half unemployed before Aaron got me into where I am now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, be, a new job or getting laid off or fired or whatever would force me to find something. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know what I'm good at. It sucks not knowing what I'm good at. Yeah. You know, I'm like good at at people. Like retail, I'd be good because I'm good at dealing with people. Retail doesn't pay well, though. No, but I hate fact. I hate machines. Yeah. I am. No. I could never work in a factory. I work at a company that has machines. Uh, it's a food manufacturing place. I don't. I work in the office, obviously, but I could never do it. And I give so much credit to the people who do because someone yeah. has to. Yep. And I'm not cut out for that kind of work, especially yeah. in a cold environment. Exactly. So yeah, time for another question. Yeah. Now that we both regret all of our life choices. <laughs> yeah, now that I'm all sad. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of goes in with a little bit with the last one. Okay. Hey guys, have either of you ever done karaoke? And if you have, what did you do karaoke to? Of course. I mean, Seriously? Yeah. My family would have parties. Like we Have you ever done it like in a bar or like in a public? Mm-hmm. Really? And, and you I wouldn't hated be every second. I was going to say and you wouldn't be a, a Oh, I hated pianist it. because you didn't no. want to be up in front of people, but you right. would do karaoke in front of people? Yeah, it's people sign you up and then they're calling your name and you don't want to be that, you know. I would be I'd be think like nope. that's like I'm I not doing like, it. Nope. I It's so weird because everyone in my family is super confident nobody's shy about singing or anything like that but i am and they all want me to sing that has to be like the worst feeling when you're going up there just dreading i don't i couldn't tell you i mean probably anything from country songs to which i have very limited knowledge of to i don't know do you remember any specifically that you did karaoke to um under the boardwalk by bet midler remember that no. So she did a version of the song Under the Boardwalk for the movie Beaches. And I think that's somebody requested that. For, this is like 15 years ago. I kind of want to hear you sing now. I haven't done karaoke in a long time. I kind of want to. Maybe we'll have that as a Patreon episode. Krista singing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'd have to record it in a room all by myself and then bring the audio. <laughs> I have, I've never done it. Mm. I. It's weird because like when I'm driving, like even on my way here, I was singing along mm-hmm. like. 
animated and uh, people are passing me and I don't care. You know, <laughs> they're, I'm either. sure they're looking at me, but right. I was like, there's some songs that I do a really, really good job of singing along to in my car. Yeah. Yeah. So, We're all but strangely, in the car. strangely, and I don't know what it is. They're almost always female. Hmm. You know, like I was. Uh, you don't have a high voice either. No. And I was doing a really good job of singing along to the song Damaged by Danity Kane on the drive here. Danity Kane? Yeah. I don't know if you oh, know the wow. song Damaged. No, but I was I doing barely... a really good job That's of like singing. It's like a girl group, right? It is. Yeah. Okay. I was doing a really good job of singing along to that. Uh, <laughs> there's some songs. You like, do car karaoke. <laughs> I do car karaoke really good. The song The do. Freshman by Verve Pipe. I don't know if you remember mm. that song. Yeah. Yep. I do really, really good to that one. I would have to be really, really drunk mm-hmm. to do karaoke in a bar in front of people. And, then and I've would already said terrible. if I did, it would probably be the song Brandy, You're a Fine Girl from the 70s because I love nice. that song. That is a good song. Uh, when Corey and his wife were out of town once, I stayed over at their house and they had, was it Rock Band? What's what's mm, One of those. I think it was I Rock Band where you sing. Mm-hmm. And I seriously spent all night doing that in their basement. Nobody was home. It was just me and the pugs. <laughs> You know, nobody was home, so I was. I did that all night, and there were three songs that I just killed on that I got like excellent, like the perfect score. And those were "Any Way You Want It" by Journey, nice "Crush Crush Crush" by Paramore, oh, love that which song. I knocked out yeah, of the any park. Any Paramore song, I'll sing. Yeah. And the one song that I nailed perfect on the first time, and I'm thinking that the the singer would probably be like if I sang, I would be very similar to this singer, and it is the song "Lazy Eye" by Silver Sun Pickups. I remember the band, but I can't think of the song. But that apparently, I think, is what my singing voice is a lot like because mm. I just nailed perfect the first time I, I did that. Nice. So I like singing. I just would not do it in front of people, and I don't think I'm that good at it, but mm. sometimes I impress myself. Mm-hmm. So I have never done karaoke. I don't think I ever will, but we'll <laughs> It's s- not in your plans. It's yeah. not in my plans. I have no plans of doing it either. So. But hey, who knows? Maybe you missed your calling. I might have missed my calling. I've been a good singer. You could be a karaoke DJ. Yeah. Ah, yeah. All right. I'll look into that. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for the questions. We do have one last package to open oh, tonight. Yeah, and this is that. from stranger Chris Hedden. I'm not sure what she sent us. Maybe it's a postcard that she didn't want to put like in the mail, like right on. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, it's supposed Yay, to be. Oh, it is. North Georgia Mountains, and it's a picture of a Bigfoot. And That's then did cool she draw thing. that? She drew a Bigfoot? Let me see. I think she drew that. Was that hand-drawn? Did you draw that? That's really good. That is really cool. That is so what really does it cool. Say? I want to take a picture, too. It says, hey, Kurt and Krista, here's a little memento from the North Georgia Mountains. Hope you all are doing well. Love your podcast. They make the workday fly by for me. Take care, Chris. I think this is worthy of a... <laughs> I love this postcard. It is really cool. Do uh, we have another one that's sort of... It might be in our... Reminiscent I actually, of oh, that's what I'm thinking of. I actually bought us a new bigger whiteboard, so we got to put that up here, but now we can get all of our postcards and all of the stuff you guys send us up in the studio. Once we figure out how to hang it up. Yeah, we got to figure out how to hang it up, because one wall is like solid brick. And the other one is like a weird carpeted thing. <laughs> People are picturing like... Like a shag carpet. Like shag carpet on the walls, no. I don't know what you would call that. That's an awesome Bigfoot drop drawing, though. It really is. So thank you so much, Chris. So cool. I love it. Thank you. 
All right, I'll put that for safekeeping in our book where we're storing all of our postcards until we, <laughs> until can we hang get them, them actually up. hung up. Do we have anything else? Um, pickle joke. Oh, we actually had a couple submitted pickle jokes. So I'll. Oh, read, we did. I will read one of these submitted pickle jokes. My, I keep moving my squeaky boom. We will probably get her boom oiled by like an <laughs> eighth or ninth season. Hey, did you watch Poltergeist? By the way. I totally forgot. <laughs> what you told think, the whole what did world. What you think of the Bigfoot show? Oh, I love I it. I thought it got really kind of hokey towards oh, the I end. When they were good. finding the cemetery, and then they found this abandoned cabin. I think the cemetery is explained by the fact that it was a small It just got kind of like weirdly Blair Witchy, I think. Like, I just, well, I kind of really be. lost interest on it towards the end of the... I think they were onto something with the cave system, for sure. Yeah. I also wanted to mention, um, real quick while you're pulling that up, did you read the Stephen King book, The Outsider? Yes. There's a HBO series. Yeah. And Jim I didn't and like I are... it. I didn't like the book. Oh, you didn't? No. Well, the series is really good. I heard a series is really good, but I just did not like the book. Mm, we're on. We just finished episode three, and it's like, what the heck is going on? You have to remind yourself it's Stephen King, and it could be anything. But I know the character it's Holly. Really eerie. The character Holly is in there, and she's she was in a lot of his later books. Like the his, late, his later books became like really kind of true crimey. Okay. And Holly this is, is definitely like, a crime. Yeah, Holly's one of the characters, and I know she's in that book, so she's in that movie. Okay. But we Series. got a pickle joke sent to us from our stranger, Taryn. And she said, not sure if you want or need more pickle jokes, but I have a couple. And here is one of these. What do you call a weird-looking pickle? I don't know what. A kookcumber. Oh, see, that's better than what's in <laughs> that here. That's better than what's in our book. That's funny. So thank you, Taryn. Okay, I read that one. Why did the cucumber change color? Why? It was pickled pink. What does that even mean? I don't know. Read tickled, another one. Tickled pink. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Okay. One. So this is a conversation. Customer, how much are your pickles? Storekeeper, two for 15 cents. Hey, that's a pretty good deal. Customer, how much is just one? Storekeeper, eight cents. Customer, okay, I'll take the other one. <laughs> Come on. I should have been a pickle joke I'm going to finish this uh, page. Okay. What did one cucumber say to the other? What? Boy, are we going to be pickled. My they God. Have, they should have prefaced that with the fact that they were drinking alcohol or and something. And we have a whole book of these. Whole book. Whole book, folks. Yep. I hope you're writing these down. <laughs> so I, right. think, I, think I think that's, that's it. it. Are you taking home the uh, pickle-flavored? No, leave that here because okay. I might actually snack warm. on that next time when we come. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll we got the heater going you. because it was kind of chilly in here. I'm freezing, but the cotton candy container is warm. Nothing better than warm pickle cotton candy for <laughs> breakfast. Gross. So, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for all your your everything, the stuff you send, all the comments, everything. Postcards, taste tests, gifts. We love we're you guys. We're spoiled. We are spoiled, and we love you guys. Yeah, we, we do love you each, guys. We're going to come and hug each one of you. Yep. That's next year's plans. <laughs> wow. Once Road I trip. To, once I win the Powerball tonight, I'm going to be traveling Ooh, this country. there's a Powerball tonight? It's okay. almost up to like $400 million. Ooh, dang. Yeah. We could quit our day jobs. Yeah. I would, if I won, I figure I would get, what, $250 million out of that, maybe? With the taxes or whatever? I would I would want no more than to keep $5 million for myself, because anything more than that is overkill. $5 and million? I would pick, like, 100 friends of mine, I'd give them each a million dollars, and I would give a ton to animal charities. Yeah. Just that's charities kind of, in general. Yeah. That's kind of what my plan is. But... I already have the list in my head of who's getting stuff because I'm sure once I win, people are going to come out of the woodwork. Of course. Everybody loves to play that game. 
who, but, who you'd give the money to yeah. first. And it's always family and friends. I, I always think of our myself last. You and know? of course, you know, you would get. I hope so. Yeah. We'd, at uh, least $10. We'd uh, buy an RV, paint it. Take to, it on the road. The Strange Sessions mobile. That'd and be cool. Take it on the road. The Stranger Danger truck? No, probably not. <laughs> no. No. Like uh, white, no. White panel windowless van with Strange <laughs> right. Sessions pre-painted on the side? Uh, probably not. Not good. <laughs> so we'll see. I doubt I'm going to win, but hey. One can hope. One can hope. Like the Beastie Boys say, like the lotto, you have to be in it to win it. <laughs> I'm surprised Beastie Boys reference wasn't on our bingo card because it should have been. Right. It should have been. I was actually jamming to them in the parking lot here waiting for you. Were you? Yeah. Nice. I was thinking about coming in today on my own, but then I got scared. In so the I building? Didn't. Yeah. Well, and I pulled up and there were lights on in here, which was weird. Yeah. But I think somebody just forgot to turn them off. Yeah. Not the motion detector lights, so. Any hoozles. <laughs> I think that's it. We digress. We digress. So, from Krista and I in the old school media studios, until next time, stay, stay strange. strange. This has been an Old School Media production, executive produced by Kirk Konechny. For more information and content, please visit strangesessions.com.